Don't you feel like all of the sudden you've become an on-air personality? <laughs> Whether it's the incessant amount of Zoom calls we're all finding ourselves on lately, or the amount of webinars that our former meetings or presentations have turned into online performances, it feels like more and more we're being asked to show up on screen and deliver information. Uh, whether it's whether it's a sales pitch, whether it's a an actual presentation, whether it's a speech, whether it's just presenting what's going on with your team, there's no denying that doing it on screen is probably here for the long run. And in fact, even after we're done quarantining and social distancing, I bet we're going to find more and more opportunities for our presentations to happen online. But how exactly do you design differently for virtual versus in-person? What are some of the extra things you need to keep in account of that are different from when you're in front of people to when you're simply on their screen? We're going to dive into four specific things you need to take care of in this episode. We're going to start with attention, dive into distractions, talk about your vocal energy, and then look at what's on the screen. All of that and more in this episode of The Mic Drop Moment. So you have a story to tell, and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Gamino. There was a time at the very beginning of social distancing and quarantining when we thought that this was only going to last 30 days or that this would all be over by the Easter holiday here that I lost pretty much a lot of my public speaking business, whether it was actually going out and giving speeches on stage or whether that was working with people for public speeches they had come up. I was actually right at the start of a really big 90-day incubator launch that was going to end in a live event here in Los Angeles where people would have an opportunity to tell their stories and share their presentations on stage with others. And then that didn't happen. And so at first we thought that it was going to last 30 days or so, or maybe 60 days at the most. And now we're here like 100 days plus, at least in the United States, of, of being quarantined, and especially here in California. And I found that the business started coming back, that people started coming back around and wanted virtual presentations from me delivering directly to their team, whether that was a keynote or whether that was a workshop. I also found that a lot of former clients and a lot of new clients started coming around and asking for help with their webinars. Because one of the things that happened was everybody started doing webinars. Everybody started being an on-air personality. Everybody was delivering their information on a screen via audio, via virtual. And what happened then was that what used to work didn't work anymore. Or at least what we used to think work doesn't work anymore. And so we've got to go deeper when we think about how do you deliver a virtual presentation differently than an in-person presentation. Whether this is a presentation you're giving in a boardroom, on a sales call, a keynote speech, a webinar, or a workshop, what are some of the big ideas that you need to think differently about when it comes to delivering a virtual presentation? Well, I've got four exact things I want you to think about. They're going to be attention distractions, vocal energy, and what's on the screen. Those are the four things. So if you're following along and you're taking notes 
And a lot of these episodes of the Mic Drop Moment are not note-taking episodes, although I hear from people that, uh, that say, ah, oh, I had an aha and I had to pull out my journal. This episode, though, is specifically a how-to episode. It's going to give you very specific advice. So you're going to want to pull out a pen and paper and kind of jot it along, or at least mentally make notes if you're driving. Although I don't know where you're driving to. There's not a lot of places to go besides the grocery store these days. But these are the things we're going to talk about. So let's dive in. When you're giving a virtual presentation, the attention of the audience is a lot different than when you're in person. And even if you're in person, whether you're in a small boardroom and there's only two or three other people with you, or you're on a big stage, getting their attention is much different virtually than it is when you are doing it in front of them. It's, there's so many more ways to get distracted. And you would think that someone sitting with their computer is less likely to get distracted, maybe, than they would in a room full of people with all kinds of things going on around them. But the reality is that in our offices, we're in our space. When we're sitting at home in our kitchen, we're in our space. And so we feel completely in charge of our time and our experience in a way that we don't often feel when we've walked into a boardroom or a conference center or even into a coffee shop to meet with you. We feel very different about that environment than we do in our own offices privately, in our homes, in our kitchens. We feel differently about that. And so we've got to make sure that we get their attention. And I have a couple of ideas for you there, uh, four, five of them actually. The first is to get started. One of the things I see a lot when people come and work with me for their virtual presentations, honestly for their in-person as well, one of the things I see a lot is that they don't get started. They spend a lot of time at the beginning of the virtual presentation kind of navel-gazing and throat-clearing, talking about the opportunity, thanking people for, for meeting with them, spending a lot of time kind of like talking about the weather versus really diving in and letting the audience know, regardless of whether your audience is one person or 1,000 people, letting the audience know that you hear them, that you've got something for them, that you understand what's going on for them, what their perspective is, and, and why you might be able to help them. So instead of doing that whole thing where at the start of your presentation, it sounds like a five or 10 minute TED talk about your company and your capabilities, instead dive right into your presentation. Dive right into why this should matter to them. Get right to your hook. So that's the number one tip for getting attention is get started. In a virtual space, if it feels like the first five to 10 minutes of your presentation are going to be about you, your company, uh, hemming and hawing, throat clearing, raving and, and creating rah-rah moments. That feels like a waste of time, at least to me. And so what starts to happen is they start to click around to other things in their screen. They start to look at their phone. They start to look around their house. They put the, they turn the camera off and they start to walk around and do other things while they casually listen that's going to shoot your ability to connect with them. So get started right away to gather their attention and let them know that you see them, that you hear them, and that you are going to help them. That's one of the big differences from a virtual to an in-person. For an in-person, there's a little bit more time to kind of be there with them. There's this idea that I learned from clowning. I know that sounds funny, right? But you know I'm a big theater geek. So there's this idea from clowning that the first thing you do when you walk out in front of them is especially with Pachenko clowning, which is the one that I've learned about and studied. And the first step that you do is you let them see you. So you kind of walk out and you let them kind of look at you and see who you are. And that's the same advice I give people when we're in person. Walk out and really be with that audience for a moment. It's very different than the advice I'd give you for a virtual presentation. For a virtual presentation, you've really got to get the show going so that we get hooked in and want to listen to what's next. 
The next thing you want to do is really lead with impact. So this is the second part of the attention getting phase. You want to lead with impact. That means that right from the start, you want to make sure that it is like boom, bang, here is some information you know. You want to make sure that you're very clear about the intentions. By the end of this, we're going to clarify that. This is very different than what I would advise you if you were in person. If you're in person, you don't need to really state the thesis of your presentation. You can kind of get into it and, and have a chat with them. But if you're virtual, you need to state the thesis so that the people can kind of say, oh yes, I want what this person has. If you don't state that, they might draw conclusions on their own, and often those conclusions are wrong. So lead with impact. So right out of the gate, they say, ooh, this is for me. I need this. I better pay attention. I better close all the other screens, turn off the notifications, and listen to what this person has to say. The next thing you can do as far as getting their attention is clarify the outcome with options. So saying that here are here's where this is going to go. I'm going to take you down this road, and it can either help you do this or it can help you do this. I'm going to show you these kinds of possible outcomes, and you'll make a decision about whether you do this or whether you do that. This is just a little bit of psychology. People hate being told what to do, and we hate being told that there's only one way to do things. So if right off the top you get our attention by clarifying that these are the possible outcomes and I have options that you're going to share with me, I'm much more willing to drop my defenses and listen to what you have to say. So in this presentation, for example, if I was giving this as a virtual presentation of sorts, which I guess this podcast kind of is, then I might say that throughout this, I'm going to give you a few options to make sure that your virtual presentations are as impactful as your in-person. And then I'm going to give you four specific options. Remember how I did that? I said I'm going to show you how to use attention, distractions, vocal energy, and screen time. I'm giving you a buffet of things to choose from so you, my friendly listener, can feel like you're in control of whether you achieve the outcomes or not. It's a small, subtle thing, but it makes a big difference. Clarify the outcomes and give them options. The next one is really avoid all of the throat clearing. I know I talked about this before with Get Started, but we don't need a whole lot of the social banter at the top of this, especially if it's a big audience. What I need to know is that you see me and get me, but I don't need to talk about the weather. I don't need the jokes about quarantine. I don't need the jokes about Zoom calls. I don't need any of those things. What I need is for you to be really impactful and get right to what I can learn from you. Really get into getting my attention and get rid of all the other stuff that makes it feel like you're wasting my time. And then the last one is to really skip that TEDx talk as a speaker. And what I mean is not to actually skip your TEDx talk. If you have an idea we're spreading, then for sure show up and give it to us. But avoid the whole thing at the start of your presentation that feels like an overly rehearsed 10-minute bit about you, your company, the status of the world, this, that, or the other. We don't need any of that. What we need to dive into right off the bat to get my attention is to say something, to do something, to present something that makes me say, huh, this might be for me. I might need to solve this. A really quick idea if you're thinking, well, how do I do that? Where might that live? Usually that lives in a place where you are talking about the new game. And when I say the new game, I'm talking about how has the world shifted and where are we at today? You'll notice if you play back to the beginning of this episode, I did that. I talked about how we're all becoming on-air personalities overnight. We've all had to go on so many calls. Seems every presentation we do. So the new game 
that I was highlighting to you is that we need to be really good at virtual presentations or we're going to lose the business. The old game where we can give ho-hum webinars and kind of like partially thought through slide decks on a virtual presentation, that old game is over. And the people who win the new game are going to be the ones who do the things I'm sharing in this episode. So skip the TEDx talk and highlight to me the new game and the old game, because that's going to get my attention to say, okay, wait a second, I need to shift things. And maybe this person on screen in front of me is here to lead me through it. So the second area, those were all about attention. And the second area is going to be about distractions. So obviously in an online world, there's going to be all kinds of distractions. So what do you do? Well, first you acknowledge that they exist. So maybe after you've clarified the new world and you've got them hooked, you could say something about the fact that the distractions might be there. Here's what you don't need to do. You don't need to tell us to turn off our phones. You don't need to tell us to stop checking Twitter. You don't need to tell us to turn off our notifications or any of those things. Just be good. That's your job. Instead of controlling my, my attention and whether I'm distracted, why don't you just be so damn good that I can't stop looking at you? That's the real job here. So acknowledge that distractions exist, meaning if one comes up, just roll with it. Realize for yourself that distractions will exist. Look around and recognize that they're going to happen and that it's totally okay. But don't try to control them. Don't try to tell me what to do with my phone, with my screen, with any of those things. Instead, just be so damn good that I can't stop listening to you. The next thing with distractions is for yourself specifically, and if you're in a small setting where maybe you're doing more of a, a casual sales presentation or sales conversation with just a few people, expect them. Expect that distractions will happen. Realize that they're going to happen and be ready for them. Expect it. Don't be surprised when something occurs. For example, I was giving a presentation recently and I just wanted to be ready in case something happened with Keynote as I was working on it. So I also saved my presentation as a PowerPoint slide. I also saved my presentation as a PowerPoint slide on my desktop so that even if the screen stopped working, I could just talk through my, my notes and it didn't really matter what was on my screen. I could just guide them through it. I expected there might be a digital issue. I also realized I was presenting in a different country uh, and that Wi-Fi might be different or the, the speed might be different. So I realized and expected a distraction whenever I asked for feedback in this smaller workshop that there might be a delay there. So I was expecting that. Maybe I'm expecting there might be some kind of issue if I'm presenting from home. If I have kids with me, dogs with me, delivery people dropping off my latest shipment of wine, which by the way, I'm expecting shortly. <laughs> I expect all of those distractions and I'm ready to deal with them so that it doesn't throw me off as a performer and presenter. The third one is under distractions is to really work on your improv skills. Really, the, the big note here for improv is one, play the scene you're in. If something happens, let it be, deal with it, call it out and deal with it. And the other thing here is to really use your yes and abilities. If something happens, if, if some, uh, whatever kind of distraction that can occur, 
just use your yes and to acknowledge it and move on. Don't deny it. Don't fight it. Don't pretend it isn't happening. Just acknowledge it and move on. That's really the key here. And the last thing under distractions is to name them. If there is a distraction that's happening to you that you think your audience might recognize, name it. Call it out. Label it. Say something about it. If you notice that something's going on with your audience, that you're talking to three people and you can see that uh, that they keep having to get up, just say, oh, hey, looks like you got a lot going on. Feel free. I can I can stop. I can. What would be helpful to you? Instead of pretending that there isn't a distraction, everybody recognizes the distraction is happening. So name it. Label it. It has less power. Last week I was presenting and I was presenting in the evening because I was working with a group in Hong Kong and Sydney, which was super fun. But I was presenting from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. my time here in Los Angeles, which was in the morning their time. And normally, I have wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous lighting every time that I do a video or an on-camera presentation because in front of my desk in my office, I have a humongous window. This humongous window is perfect from you know, seven in the morning until about three o'clock in the afternoon because it faces west. And if you know anything about living, uh, actually, if you know anything about living in the world, you'll know that the sun sets in the west. So I'm here looking out on the sixth floor of my office building out towards Santa Monica, out towards the Pacific Ocean. Guess what happens between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m.? The sun sets. It means that throughout the entire presentation, the shadows were changing. So I had lights set up and everything so I could flick them on. But I also realized that there was like a weird shadow in the background that was moving. So I named it. I said, hey, by the way, I recognize that it is uh, that it is 10 a.m. your time or whatever time it was. Uh, it's 6 p.m. here in the West Coast. And so the sun is setting here as it's starting to get to midday heights for you. And so you may notice that the, the shadows behind me shift. And it's not because I'm a moving train. It's because the sun is setting over me and headed your way. So I'll send you this great sun we've got. Something like that. Just name it. Name the distraction so that it doesn't become an even bigger distraction. What you'll find is often when you name it, it stops having power over your presentation. So that is the step number two. And by the way, this is a solo episode of the Mic Drop Moment. And so before we get to step number three and four, which is vocal energy and screen, I thought we would take a little wine and wisdom Wednesday break. This is the part of the uh, podcast where I talk about wine for a couple minutes because one, it's my show. Two, wine is really interesting. And three, why not? So we're going to chat about wine and then come back to talk about vocal energy and what to put on your screen. So let's pop a bottle. So on today's episode, we are going to be trying rosé. This weekend, we had a friend who gave us some delicious, freshly caught yellowtail right from the ocean, right from uh, right outside of Catalina, actually. And one of the things we did with it was make this really delicious kind of Baja-inspired poke. So we took a tostada and we put the the raw fish, the raw yellowtail right on top of it. Some great uh, salsas, some great avocado, a little bit of microgreens. And it was perfect. And a dish like that needs a very specific kind of wine. I tend to like kind of a fruity, crisp wine. And so I paired that with a bottle of the La Rijinal, 
La Original uh, Rosé. And it's actually uh, one that you could buy directly through through me, uh, through scoutandseller.com slash Mike Ganino, scoutandseller.com slash Mike Ganino. Uh, you could buy that directly. It's 22 bucks. And this is a um, Provencal, Provencal style wine, uh, which, is, which is a region of France. It's hotter than LA there. It's in the south of France. And they're making like 50% of the rosé that we drink here in the US. And I mean, this is why it's it's light, it's crisp. And when it comes to rosé, there are a bunch of different styles of rosé. You can have a kind of Grenache style rosé. Grenache is going to be really fruit forward, um, really, really round. It's going to give you a little bit of spice, kind of medium high acidity. Uh, and have some nice color. There's Sangiovese Rosé, which is going to be a little bit more like copper colored. Um, This is going to have maybe like a little bit of bitterness in it, but you're going to get a lot of melon and roses. There's Tempranillo Rosé, which is going to be very uh, classic when you're looking at uh, the Rioja region of Spain, if you're getting rosé from there. Uh, There's rosé that is from Syrah, which is uh, typically used for a lot of American rosés. You'll see it there. It's a little bit bolder. There's Cabernet Sauvignon Rosé, which is going to be a little bit kind of savory, and you're going to get some more like concentrated cherry sauce and black fruit flavors from it. And then there's Zinfandel Rosé, which is going to be a little bit sweet, uh, depending on who makes it, of course. This is where we learned white Zinfandel uh, from. So Zinfandel Rosé. Then there also is, of course, Rosé from Morvedra, more Rosé from Pinot Noir, which is really nice. It's going to be super delicate and, uh, and fruity there as well. But this one, and what most of us are drinking, is a Rosé from Provence. And so these are kind of like I don't know, the perfect backyard summer sippers. So when you go out to the store or when you head over to scoutandseller.com slash Mike Ganino, you can buy directly from me. It's 22 bucks a bottle, this Le Original Rosé from Provence. What you're going to look for is, one, look for a rosé from Provence. I think you'll probably like it. And you'll really love it if you're pairing it with uh, some great salads, if you're pairing it with some raw fish or ceviche or something like that, or even if you're just pairing it with like some time on the patio or, or back porch this summer. You're going to want to look for that. In this specific bottle that we had with the halibut poke, it had these delicious notes of like strawberry. There were like some white flowers in there. Super, super great. Even... Uh, with like goat cheese. I would have loved this with some fresh goat cheese. And so that's what I'm doing. A little side note here before we move back into the show to cover those last two points for your virtual presentations. As you're thinking of a fruity, crisp, lean kind of like way to supplement your, your food, your experience with wine... Remember that with rosé and actually a lot of your whites, you're going to store them in the fridge. And I have this thing that I learned a long time ago called the rule of 20. Here it is. You take your whites or your rosé out of the fridge 20 minutes before you want to drink them. They're too cold when they're stored in the fridge. And it's just going to be, you know, you're not going to get all of the notes, all of the flavor, all of the aroma, unless it just warms up a bit. So take it out about 20 minutes before you want to drink it. For your reds, if you don't have a wine cooler then take your reds and put them in the fridge 20 minutes before you want to drink them. So take your whites and rosés out of the fridge 20 minutes before you want to drink and put your reds, unless you have a wine fridge, into the fridge 20 minutes before you want to drink it. It'll just make sure all of the temperatures are right. So again, if you want to check out this bottle and buy it directly from me, you can go to scoutandseller.com slash Mike Ganino, and then you'll just look up the rosé category. This one has a really cool little uh, zebra with a uh, with a bow tie or 
some kind of bow tie thing on its head. Uh, you'll check it out there and let me know what you think of it. Otherwise, when you hit the grocery stores or you hit your wine store, just look for a wine from Provence. And then uh, email me, email me, message me on social, tag me in it at Mike Ganino. Let me know what you're thinking of it. We'll uh, have a nice little chat about wine. Now, let's get back into the show. Don't miss a single mic drop. Subscribe to the Mic Drop Moment. In our quest to bring a crisp and fruity presentation to the virtual screen, we've already discussed the importance of getting attention and some ways not to do it. We've talked about distractions and how you should handle those. And now we're going to address vocal energy before moving on to screen time. So vocal energy, a couple of quick lessons. Although in episode 27 of the Mic Drop Moment and in episode number six, I spoke to real life bonafide vocal coaches who work with some of the top performers in the world. So if you really want some vocal help, go listen to those episodes. Episode 27 was with Caroline Goida and episode number six was with Darcy Webb. They'll give you some real quick vocal help. But here's what I can tell you about performing on a virtual platform, whether you are uh, with slides on screen or even just doing a podcast or a phone call like this, this can be really helpful. One is to remember to breathe. A lot of times we don't breathe when we're speaking, especially if we're a little bit nervous. We start to hold our chest. We start to tighten up as a protective measurement in a way because our body is saying, hey, we're in danger. All these people staring at us are dangerous. And so our bodies tighten up, which means we stop breathing normally. We stop using all of it. And when you stop breathing with your full lung capacity, with your full chest, then your voice starts to get really tight and high like this. And then we wonder why we don't like the way we sound. Well, part of the reason is because we're not resonating with our full chest. So try this. Uh, unless you're doing something where it would be awkward or dangerous to do this, then try this later. But right now, try this. You're simply going to say, hello, my name is, and then your name. Although you can say, hello, my name is Mike, whatever makes you happy. You're going to say, hello, my name is this. So just do that right now. Ready? One, two, three. Hello, my name is Mike. And now what I want you to do is breathe in. And as you exhale, breathe in a nice full breath. And as you exhale, you are going to say it again. So ready? One, two, three, breathe in. Hi, my name is Mike. That's called speaking on your breath. And it's going to help you sound a lot more resident, a lot more confident. It's really going to help you out. It's also going to help your audience because when we don't breathe, they start to not breathe with us. So think about your breath. Take a nice, big, deep breath. Before you get ready to speak, take a nice, deep breath. This will also help you as you teach yourself. And this is a muscle. As you teach yourself to breathe as you speak, it'll stop you from gasping. Have you ever noticed that, that sometimes when you speak, you do that a little bit because you're getting out of breath as you say a lot of things and then you go to the next thing and you need to catch your breath and you can hear that little gasp for air? Don't do that. Learn to breathe as you speak. The second thing is to warm up. If you have got a really big presentation coming up or even just a small meeting, give yourself five minutes before your presentation so that you can get ready. It's really an important step to using the muscle that is your voice. Your voice is a muscle. It is an instrument. And it does say so much about your confidence. It says so much about how you show up and what you're projecting and sharing. So do a little warm up. You can look up a quick five minute warm up on the internet. You can also check out episode 27 because Caroline Goida gave us a couple of ideas there as well. Number three, learn to modulate. This means that you're speaking on camera 
should not all sound like a very simple way all the time. It also shouldn't be really high in all this the whole time all the way through. That's really difficult to follow. But it should be modulated. It should be melodic. Sometimes you should speak quickly to get your point across in a way, and sometimes you want to slow it down. If you listen to Oprah Winfrey, you can hear her do this all the time, and then she'll repeat things. So really think about your voice. How is it sounding? Are you hitting the right words with the right intention, or is it just kind of a boring conversation to nobody? The next one under vocal energy is to take a beat. This is essentially just take a pause. When you say something important, give your audience time to think about it. Take little strategic pauses throughout. In general, I speak pretty quickly. I, I know this. I have my whole life. And sometimes you might think, well, you should try to speak slowly. But really, you don't want me to speak any slower. What you want me to do is take beats or pauses in the right places so that you could have a moment to catch up with the big thing that I just said. Think of the pause or the beat as a moment for your audience to think about the greatness you just shared. And the last one is to lay the brick. I learned this from reading Caroline Goida's book, Find Your Voice. It was a great exercise. I recommend you grab her book, by the way. It's in the show notes as well. But she has this idea that she teaches in the book that's called Lay the Brick. And basically what you do is you imagine that there's a wall in front of you made of bricks and in the middle of it is a missing brick and you look down to your right and you see, oh my gosh, the brick is right here. I'm going to finish the wall. So you lean down, you take the brick and as you say the final words of your sentence, you put the brick in the wall. It really kind of forces you to mentally get your whole body in line so that your final word really lands. This will help you a lot if you're one of the people that suffers from uptalk. Uptalk is that thing where you sound like you're asking a question, even when you're not, that everything you say ends in a very up note, which makes it sound that you're not so confident and you're asking questions all the time. And so the lay the brick exercise will help you a lot. Actually, try it now. Unless you're driving or doing something dangerous, then try it later. But if you're trying it now, do that. Say some kind of sentence to yourself. Maybe you say, hello, I am the greatest presenter ever. And you're going to imagine a brick next to you. You're going to imagine a brick wall in front of you. The brick wall in front of you is missing a brick. You see the brick on the right. You pick it up and you say, I am the greatest presenter ever. And on ever, you land that brick right in that spot on the wall and you sound like a confident presenter. Pretty cool, right? So that's vocal energy. Some ideas for you there. Breathe, warm up, modulate, hit those beats, and lay the brick. And finally, in my little quest to help you become a virtuoso of virtual presentations is some notes on how to manage the screen. Now, the issue with the screen is that we think a lot of times in virtual presentations that we put so much on the screen because it's all they're seeing. Maybe they just see a little tiny dot of you. So here are my notes. Recognize that when you have something in front of them, they will read first. Think about it. When a new slide pops up and there's a lot of content, you kind of stop listening to the presenter and you just start reading what's on the screen. It's natural. We want to say, where's this going? What's this about? What's on here? Do I already know this? What do I need to know here? And so we read ahead. And so they are going to read first. Make sure you use that strategically. Do you want them to read something on the screen? Do you need something on the screen for them to read it all? Does it need to be the full bullet point? Can it just be a word? Can it be even better? A question. It could be the question you're about to answer and you say, so what do you think it takes to be a great virtual presenter? <gasps> I don't know, Mike. Will you tell us? You bet I will. And then I'm here to deliver that. 
And then I can follow up with a with a follow-up slide after I've taught the four different ways you could be a great virtual presenter. I could show you a slide that says, remember, we talked about this, this, and that. But I don't need to necessarily give that to you at the beginning because they will read first. Whatever pops up on that screen, they're going to stop listening to you and they are going to read it to figure out where you're going. The next one is, can you manage showing your screen and your face? One of the things about virtual presentations is that so often I see people just going on there with the screen. They're just showing what's on their slides and they're showing images and they're showing words and they don't really appear. Maybe they don't go on screen at all or maybe they just stay a little face. What if you went back and forth? What if you went back and forth between it being your face talking to them and something on the screen? In the instance I just shared, let's say that on my slide, it said, so what does it take to be a great virtual presenter? And then I realized I'm just going to talk for five minutes or I'm going to share a story for three minutes. I should then stop the screen share and go live with just my face on the screen to talk to them and connect with them for a minute. And then I can toggle back to go back to my screen when I say, so here's the first step. I just shared with you the story. Now let me show you the first step. And then I can go back to my slides. I can toggle back and forth between them. You'll notice when you watch television that they do that a lot. They'll toggle between the person speaking in a newscast or a talk show to whatever they're talking about. They'll flash back and forth. They'll do that in cooking shows where they show you Jada De Laurentiis on camera talking, and then they'll show her hands mixing, mixing something up or some food frying in a pan. It's just a better way to manage the screen and manage their attention. The third one, put less content on your slides. Put less content on your slides. We don't need everything you're going to say to be on the slide. If you want the person to have that because you're going to send them a, a deck, uh, you're going to send them the presentation afterwards in a PDF format, then make two slide decks. Make one that is all the supplemental information with the full bullet points and everything that you send them afterwards. That way they can remember what you said to them. But in the one that you're presenting, just put what's helpful to communicate the message. Because if you're just reading from it, then just send it to them and let them read it in their own time. But if you're there to actually have presence, to make an impact, then put minimal things in the slides. Use questions instead of bullet points and answers. Use one word instead of a full sentence. Use an image instead of a full paragraph. Put less content on each of your slides to make it more digestible. And the last one here, last little idea for you is learn to manage their attention. Realize that when you're on screen with them, they're going to be looking at whatever you put in front of them. So make sure that whatever they're looking at is what you want them to pay attention to. During one of my main keynotes, I have a part where I talk about this, uh, this phenomena that was recognized during World War II called cargo cults. And I show some images throughout it. But I don't need the images on screen the whole time. I just want them to, I, I introduce something and then I show them a picture of where I'm talking about. But I don't need a picture of, of Micronesia, of, of an island of Micronesia behind me the whole time. So I show them the picture so we can make sure we know like where am I talking about on a map. And then I go to a blank slide. That means they just look at me again. So learn to manage the attention. Be a little bit of a magician, if you will. Uh, use some, some virtual presentation sleight of hand to get them to look where you want. The easiest way to do that is by controlling what's on their screen and using it to your advantage. So what do you do? You are going to look at how you can capture their attention. You're going to look at distractions. You're going to manage your vocal energy, and you are going to control what's on the screen. And that is how you practice great virtual presentations.
What did I miss? What other ideas do you have? Uh, drop me an email at info at MikeGanino.com. Hit me up on the socials at Mike Ganino, pretty much everywhere. And let me know, what are you doing for virtual presentations? Or what did you think of these ideas? Have you tried any of them? Did they work? Did they not work? Let me know. I want to hear what's happening for you. And if you're loving the podcast, if you're finding it useful, the most helpful thing you can do is to go write a five-star review on iTunes. That helps it pop up in the right places and get on everyone's radar. So if you like what I'm doing, if this has been helpful to you, then hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review for the Mic Drop Moment. Thanks for being here. I will see you again next week. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeGanino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeGanino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 